we can, we'll open up quickly to Matthew chapter 20. If I had been much more of a planner than I am, we really could have timed this just right. But we didn't. This is the last portion of Matthew chapter 20 is right before Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, we were one week behind. If we had just hit this last week, man, we could have gotten it. But uh, at this point uh, in our year, we are celebrating the Easter time, which was the uh, the time of Passover, the time of Jesus's uh predicted death in Jerusalem, as we have talked about in previous weeks, uh, it, it becomes more palpable at this moment because Jesus has told us, hey, I'm going to die and this is what's going to happen. And they're getting ready to march into Jerusalem and everything that's going to happen that he told them three different times was going to happen, it happens. So this is a very somber moment. It's a very glorious moment but it still it has this kind of hint this tinge of sadness to it it's kind of like when you watch a movie or watch a trilogy or watch something like that and you know you know that this is going to happen right there's just times you watch certain movies and certain characters come on scene and you're just like i'm sorry i know you ain't gonna make it out of this thing you know you're gonna be that one person in this movie who we just know without a doubt they're just that character. They're the one that doesn't get out of this alive. Well, Jesus here on three different occasions has predicted his death for his disciples and told them, this is what I'm going to do. And we've talked over the last several weeks from this chapter about how much that's focused and centered around servanthood, around what a disciple of Christ should be as far as a servant. Jesus being our greatest example. Jesus saying, look, I'm going to die. And it's not just on a whimsical kind of adventure, it's actually purposeful. And I'm doing it, and I'm embodying the very epitome of what it means to be a servant. It's like, because I'm doing it for you. I'm coming to give my life for you. I've come to serve you. I've come to help you. I've come to save you. And I think that's, in the last week, as I have been considering that section of Scripture... And I was also listening yesterday on one of my, uh, the Bible reading apps that um, I was listening through John 15, 16, 17, 18 as we're kind of in preparation for uh, this weekend. And, you know, what's interesting is as he goes through 16 and 17 and 18, he just goes back to that over and over and over again. I came here for you. I came there here for them, Father. I came because you gave them to me, Father. I came to save them, Father. I pray that you would sanctify them, Father. And he keeps going back to this language of, I can, I'm here because of you, because of us. And he says, and, and, and what do I call this? I call it servitude. I call it servanthood. I call it service. To you, I call it the kingdom of God. This is what it means. You want to see who the greatest, as we said, we argued, who is, if you're going to put a Instagram poll out there, who would you rate as the greatest person ever in the kingdom of heaven? And I think everybody would unanimously say, well, Jesus. And Jesus said, yeah, I agree with you. 
And you know why I'm the greatest? Besides the fact that I'm the son of God, besides the fact that I'm the Messiah, besides the fact of all of these other criteria that make me obviously greatest, because, hey, I created you. What makes me the greatest is I am the greatest servant. And I've told you that this is what it means to be great in the kingdom. So in closing out of that section of scripture in chapter 20, looking at verses 19 through 34, it says, And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried even the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will you have that I should do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So we look at this context as they're leaving Jericho. They're leaving Jericho and they're headed towards Jerusalem, about a 26-kilometer journey there. What always cracks me up, or I think always gets me about this section of Scripture, or, or this point, I guess I've just never caught before, of this entry to Jerusalem through Jericho. And as we have been studying through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, this entry through Jericho... It just became so much weightier to me. I mean, the first stop when the Israelites went into the promised land that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years, they had to go through Jericho. Jesus purposefully, he didn't come down from Galilee going on the west side. He purposefully came down on the east side, on the other side of the Jordan River, to cross the Jordan River, to go through Jericho, and then eventually get into Jerusalem. I mean, he is reenacting the Israelites' journey. And in it, he is declaring himself, look, I'm I'm everything that y'all are. I'm everything. I am the Israelite of the Israelites. I am the son of David. Everything that I embody, this is the, you're looking at the perfection of what you should be. And so they come from Jericho and they head to Jerusalem, traveling about 26 kilometers, which is not that far, you know, not that long of a walk. If you Google map it, doesn't look that bad. I actually tried to Google map the route out. It wouldn't let me. Don't know why. So then I had to Google it and just ask how long it was. It was 26 kilometers. So we could all walk 26 kilometers. It's not that big of a deal. But what I think is interesting about this section of Scripture, this point in time, this place in this chapter, as we have been talking about this over and over again, what blows my mind is where these stories are placed. And it's not haphazardly or accidentally. We have just been on a three-month, you know, tirade with the disciples about the kingdom of heaven. And for three chapters, Jesus has been laying into them about their selfishness, about their self-aggrandizing desires, about how they keep going back to, yeah, I know this kingdom of heaven is a great thing. So where are we going to be at in this? Where's our thrones? Where's our stuff? What do you got in store for us, Jesus? And can I ask a request? Can you give me a little more than the others? Because you know, I mean, we are James and John and 
I mean, I think we deserve a little bit more than everybody else. So where can we sit on your right and your left? All these things for three chapters, they've been going back and Jesus has been going, guys, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about being actually, it's about everybody else. It's about you serving everybody else. It's about you being for everybody else. It's about you focusing on everybody else. That is what my kingdom is all about for three chapters over and over again. With multiple questions and multiple interjections and multiple little scenarios where he's grabbing children and bringing them over here and grabbing, you know, predictions about his death and all these things and tying it all back going, guys, I want you to get it's about being a servant. It's about putting yourself at the lowest level. It's not about you and what you want and where you sit and how much you get and what you can get out of Jesus and how fulfilled your life is. It's actually your desire is about everybody else. It's about God. It's about your neighbor. It's even about your enemy. It's not about you. It's about everybody else. Over and over again, he's been focused on that. And then he leaves out of Jericho. And I mean, you can almost just get the, get me away from these people. Okay. If it was me, I'd be going, guys, you don't get it. I've told you, I mean, this is like, look, this is like with children. And I know there's that whole thing of like, yeah, you tell them a thousand times. You got to tell them a thousand and one. I tell them one time and expect one time. That's it. All right. I don't have to tell you again. I done told you once. All right. Didn't work out so well this morning, but that's what I can't. That's where I stand. Okay. I told you once. Go up and put your clothes on. Don't make me tell you again. This is where we focus on. And I would have little patience with this. Thanks be to God. I'm not the one in this position. And I'm, I know y'all are thinking that this morning too. Here, though, they're leaving Jericho. They're walking out. He's getting ready to go back. He's going into Jerusalem. He knows what he's facing. His disciples are behind him going, oh, man, look what you what are you doing? James and John asking him about that. What's wrong with y'all? Then all the other disciples are going, yeah, but I wonder who is going to be the greatest. I mean, I really have done a lot. I've done more than you. What about you? I've done more than you. All still so focused about themselves and on their way out. You have some blind beggars yelling after Jesus. And it's the most beautiful picture to close this chapter. It's the most beautiful picture before he goes in on his triumphal entry into his destined end. They leave from Jericho on their way out. These blind men are crying after him. Now, Matthew's the only one that records two. Uh, The other synoptic gospels say one. Mark even lists this as Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, who was the blind beggar who was doing this. It's very similar to when Matthew records the healing of the man from Gadaria. He actually records two people that are out there. Everybody else records one. It is what it is. doesn't take away from the story. Here's what the basis of the story is. Here's what's the main point that we want to get this morning. After you've had all these chapters where you're getting just a little bit down on the disciples going, man, y'all get over yourselves, okay? This beautiful picture of a poor, beggarly, blind person has the clearest vision and the most focused faith on what really matters out of all of this. The others are worrying and crying and complaining about themselves and where they're going to be in this big picture. And you've got this man who is blind, can't see, begging for whatever he gets. And he just hears about Jesus of Nazareth coming walking by. This happened in another occasion, too, back in Matthew chapter 9. But all he does is he just hears him. Just hears, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming? Can't see him. Doesn't know when he's coming by. Doesn't know when he's in his field of vision. He's blind. But he hears him coming. 
And when he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, he sits up and looks out and starts screaming, Son of David, have mercy on me. As we talked about before when we did this in Matthew chapter 12, that was another one of these cases where blind men cry out. And interestingly enough, cry out with his messianic title. Not everybody does that. These blind people who have no sight to give them any testimonies. They hadn't seen all the prophetic things come to play. They haven't watched Jesus turn water to wine and he hadn't ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey yet. So we don't have all these prophecies coming to play where they've eyewitnessed it and said, oh, well, these are the things we see and we testify that Jesus must be the Messiah because look what he's done. No, they're blind. They can't see it. But by faith, they cry out to him as the Messiah. These people are blind and they can see better than the 12 apostles that have been following him. These people are blind and they can see better than multitudes of Jews who are surrounding him. These people are blind, but they have a sight by faith that supersedes everything else. So they don't need to see Jesus. They just hear him coming and they know if there is anything impossible in this world... Like my blindness, this guy can fix it. This is the one. So they don't come with pretense. They don't come with any kind of show. They don't come with any pomp, any circumstance. They don't come. And the question they asked him when he said, what would you have us do for you? What would you want me to do for you? They didn't say, hey, Jesus, give me a throne on your left or your right hand side. Did they? Then say, hey, Jesus, who, where am I going to be in your kingdom? Where's my place? Where's my spot? You know, I've been in the church my whole life. I was baptized when I was two. I've been reading out doctrinal effigies for years. I mean, I know it all. Where's my spot in your kingdom? I surely get a big spot. These guys are beggars. And what's even more amazing to me is, is when this guy, when you look in Mark's account, when this guy hears about Jesus coming, he actually takes his cloak off and throws it to the side. And you say, what does that matter? He's a blind beggar. That's all he's got. It's the only thing he had on his back. And he threw it away so he could run blindly through a crowd to get to this Jesus and said, Jesus, will you please heal me? All I want's my sight. I don't even ask for another cloak that I just left behind. I don't ask for the worldly riches. I just want to see if you can just do that for me. And Jesus, it says, having compassion on him. Touched his eyes, gave him a sight. And in Mark and Luke's account says, your faith has saved you. So different. So different from these last three chapters. So different from all the jockeying for power and fame and glory. And where am I going to be? And what am I going to get? Out of all of this, it sounds a lot like, as we've been studying through numbers, a lot like the Israelites of old. Lord, where's my food? Lord, where's my water? Lord, where's this land of milk and honey where you promised me? I mean, we're just out here in the wilderness. We're just going to die. Where's all our stuff, Jesus? And this poor blind man, and again, the timing of it is just too perfect to show you what a sincere, beautiful expression of beggarly, humble, childlike faith looks like. Not worried about all the stuff, Jesus. I don't know what kind of house I'm going to be in, Jesus. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from, Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to do next, Jesus. I don't know what the future holds, Jesus. But I know right now I need your help. This morning, as we celebrate the Easter resurrection story, 
And we can get so caught up in all the other things that go along with church, with religion, with the world and everything. We can get so focused on all of this stuff. There's a lot of times we need to, just like these people, we need to just fall back on, I just need to cry out to my Messiah, Jesus, please help me. Help me. I don't know what I'm supposed I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not looking for all the stuff I can get. I'm not looking for all the material gains I can get. I'm not even looking for the mansion. And I'm not, that's not, that's not what I'm praying to you about. That's not what I'm crying out for you about. I am crying out, I just need you. Maybe there is a problem in my life I need you to fix. But beyond that, I just need you. Once these blind men were healed, you know what they did? They followed him. Something that they could never do before. They're blind. They can see. First thing they do is go, well, I can see now. I'm going to go get me a job and I'm going to go get me a house. Life is looking up. We're moving up to the east side. Everything's great. So they say, oh, I've got my sight. All the better to follow you with Jesus. I can see now. Well, now I can clearly see where you're going. I'm going to follow you. You've given me back something that I haven't had my entire life. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn around and I'm going to use it for your glory. Simple enough. So I hope that as we go through this week, as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us, and as we talk about him being the greatest servant there was, when God blesses us and puts us where we're at, when he restores us from being blind, beggarly sinners, and gives us the life that we have, I surely hope, that what our response is, is not, thank you, Jesus, and I'll go the other way. I hope it's, thank you, Lord, for what you've given for me. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for being that servant above all servants who's taken everything that I could never possibly get off of me, and you've taken it and gladly borne it to the cross. Now, let me take my life. Let me take the things you've restored for me. Let me take the blessings you've given to me. And let me in return be a servant to all as you were to me. May God bless us to do that. All right. Well, good to see everyone here. Feel like it's been a little too long uh, since I've been around. I've been busy uh, traveling and different things. Uh, a lot of churches out there still in need, uh, and I try to go out and help them as much as I can and enable. Uh, appreciate the wonderful message that Brother Adam brought before us this, uh, so far. Uh, he pretty much did exactly the, the kind of the first few verses I want to start reading here. He, it's good to see ministers who do this. But it's also good to see that churches who put it really into practice. And today, it's really kind of, you think about 2,000 plus years or so from the time of the death of our Savior. You've got the world who, uh, and I'm, I am going to grab this verse. I wasn't sure if I was going to go to it or not, but I'll grab it just real quick. Uh, in Psalm 12, and I believe it's the last verse, it says... The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. It seems here in the, in the world today, the vilest of men are exalted in this world. And here we are, church, continuing to gather, 
to exalt not the vile men and the people that may have money and different things like that. We came to exalt our Lord today. And uh, when so in First uh, Corinthians chapter three, Paul kind of lays out a, a kind of a he's still kind of beginning his letter to the Corinthians, but he starts out by saying, "For we are laborers together with God, year God's husbandry, year God's building, according to the grace of God." This is First Corinthians three verses eight and nine. Uh, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed now how he buildeth thereupon for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We are still gathering together here some 2000 plus years still, uh, with the foundation of Jesus Christ. Uh, and you think about uh, so many in this world who have tried to debunk this Bible when this Bible is a, is a historical record and people in Jerusalem are continuing to uncover artifacts, places, things that continue to prove that this record is true. And so for just a few minutes this morning, I want to try to make this a little more personal to you because we've gathered here together and I, and I want something to get out of our vocabulary. I'm going to start this way. We didn't come to church this morning. The church is gathered to worship. We came to worship this morning. So we're not here doing church. I don't I want us to get rid of that vocabulary or using that word because we came here to worship Jesus Christ. We came here to worship what he did and what he has done for us. And, and there's not enough time to even convey all that he really did for you and me in a short amount of time that we have. But every time we gather here together, we're here to lift his name up. And we're here to glorify him and honor him because why else do we come? Today we celebrate a risen Savior. We don't celebrate his death. We celebrate the fact that he's alive. And that's important because of all the other uh, uh, religions that are out there, all the gods, whether you go about Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, they're all dead. Ours isn't. And that's something to be excited about because it's never happened in any other case in this world that we have come to worship one that is alive. Uh, he, uh, so if we go over to 1 Corinthians 15, not going to go there. I'm just going to go there mentally. If he's not alive, then why are we here? If he's not alive, our faith is vain, our preaching is in vain, the practice is vain. Who are we singing to? Why are we singing? Why are we rejoicing? Why are you happy? Why do you even go? Why do you pray? Who are you praying to if he's not alive? See, that's the one glorious thing about our God is that he's alive and we get to talk to him in prayer. We get to come when we worship him, we can feel his presence because he's not some fictitious being out there. He's right here. And He's right in our heart, and that's where He dwells. His Spirit makes intercession. It communicates with us. It communicates to Him on behalf of us sometimes when we don't even know the words. But I love this so much because over in John chapter 14, He makes a statement to His disciples just days, moments before He's going to be arrested. He says, I will not leave you comfortless, verse 18. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. What a glorious thing that we don't sit here and think constantly. I, I don't know about y'all, but I don't sit around and constantly think about death. It's going to happen one day. 
But you know what? As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, for in, if, for if in this life uh, only we have hope in Jesus Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We don't have hope only in this life. We have hope that in the next life, in the eternal sense, that we're going to live and we're going to be, as we learned about this weekend, we're not just going to be heirs, but we're going to be joint heirs with Christ. Those many mansions that he talks about here in chapter 14, we got one. And it's on the other side and we're going to be there because there's an inheritance awaiting you and me. There's awaiting God's elect children, the ones that were chosen and placed in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are going to live and reign with him. And I love that fact that we have come together to worship our king. But he's also given us power to be those kings and priests. We've had a wonderful weekend of worship at Best Stadium. I hate many of you missed it. We learned a lot of good teaching over there this, uh, this weekend. But one thing I wanted to focus on is just a little bit more this morning is that as we've gathered here together to worship a risen Savior, I want to make it a little more personal to you. Personal. I want you to make it, make it personal to your, to your inner being, to where it touches your very heart. On the days... On the day of resurrection morning, Mary goes over, if you turn over with me over to Luke, if I can get there, my sticky fingers this morning, Luke chapter 24, I want to grab one, uh, maybe just a couple of things and we'll sit down. And it came to pass, verse 4, as they were uh, much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Now, these two men, Matthew records for us, were angels. One, an angel was actually sitting upon the stone that had been rolled away. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, and said, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Oh, so hard for us. Just to remember the words of Christ. These men who were just walking with Jesus. I mean, Brother, Matt, Brother Adam said they were probably preaching for weeks about all the places where Jesus journeyed around Galilee through the back for the book of Matthew. And now he's coming into Jerusalem. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's sitting there continuously talking to them. Go to John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17. Read those accounts over there and realize that the angels were sitting there telling them, do you not remember what he just told you? He told you that he was going to die. And in three days that he was going to take his life up again. That he was going to come out alive. He says, do you remember? Saying, the Son of Man must be delivered under the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered their, his words. Matthew also records that. The angels called them to go quickly to tell other ones. And they, what did they do? They took off running. They went running. They couldn't wait to tell the news that their Lord, their master was not there. And if you turn over to John chapter 20, we'll grab some closing thoughts. Because I can't imagine the joy of seeing. And of course, the rest of the story is that as, even, as, even as Mary went running, he actually appeared unto them on the road there and said, All hell! To Mary, which means basically 
rejoice. It's me. I'm here. Could you imagine how cool that must have been? We were not present that day. Physically. But you were in Christ through that. You've always been in Christ. And the promise that Jesus, before he went to the cross, was that I would not leave you comfortless. I'm going to send one, the spirit of truth, Matthew, uh, John 16 records of us, that's going to remind you of some things, that's going to talk to you and teach you some things, and it's going to testify of me. That very same thing happens when we are born again, when Jesus calls us by name and our heart is changed. He calls us by name. Scripture records for us that our names are engraven on the palm of His hand. He knows you personally. In John chapter 20, it was over here recording where Mary Magdalene appears to Jesus. Verse 11, we'll read the account. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken my Lord, and I know, I know not where they have laid him. See, she still thinks he's dead. They think they've stolen the body. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Could you imagine just how distraught she was? But also, I mean, she did not even that, the fact that she didn't know him, but she thought he was the gardener. She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary called her by name personally and she immediately turned to him and said Rabboni which is to say master she knew him sometimes as brother Adam talks about talked about this morning the faith that we must have and the living of faith and walking by faith What is the Spirit of the Lord telling you about your Savior? Where is your faith at? Do you remember His words? Do you remember what He did for you? And the sacrifice that He did? And do you remember the fact that He is alive? And do you remember that He at one time, when he, whatever time that may have been, when He born you again, He called you by name and it made it personal to you. And all He wanted was for us to fellowship and to serve and to worship Him every day that we live. That's the foundation. The foundation that we continue to build on. The foundation that the apostles laid for us and laid for the church is that we come here week after week and day by day we are coming to build our foundation upon the fact that we have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ and He died for you and me and that we continue to abide and fellowship and worship and honor and glorify Him every day that we live because it was personal when He chose you before the foundation of the world. It was personal when He came down as, a, as, as, uh, as the sheep or as a, as a sheep would go numb before the shears and He went peacefully and quietly and died for you and me 
All because he wanted to live with you. On the other side of glory. Because he lives, ye shall live also. What a glorious truth we have in his word. And I hope we continue to build on that foundation every day that we live. That we worship our living Savior. Come ahead, Dad. How many folks in uh, in Jasper, uh, maybe how many folks in uh, various places around the country this morning, they get uh, three <laughs> sermons on Easter morning. That was that. Wow, Brother Charles, they attended early services, and then they attended late services, and then they attend. Uh, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within an hour uh, or less, uh, three sermons. So, I, I, you know, you say, well... Yeah, that's a lot of listening. Uh, no, it's uh, it's a lot of worship. I hope this morning. So, uh, you know, <laughs> gee, oh, Derek said. Derek said, make it personal. Uh, as they, as the, uh, as Jesus was in the garden praying, uh, and he came back, and his disciples were asleep, and he said, "Can you not watch for even an hour?" So when we're here on a Sunday morning. Can you listen for just an hour? <laughs> if we, if we can, uh, then uh, then we'll find a blessing in all this. I appreciate uh, so much. Uh, and, you know, it's it's special to me today to have Brother Adam here and to have Brother Derek here and to have you here. And uh, so uh, I was, uh, you know, our minds think about a lot of things uh, leading up to this uh, day. And, and so, you know, Easter's a big deal, right? I mean, and uh, so, but do, do we ever, do we pause long enough to think, well, what makes Easter a big deal? What makes today so special? Uh and uh, if I can, can in just a little bit of time here this morning, I'm going to talk about. I'd like to, like to talk about one what makes it special, and, and and why it's special to us, and and go from there and say, uh, and also look at some other some other items that kind of tie into all this because when we think about uh, Easter Day and Passover. Uh, we're talking about almost the pinnacle point of why me and you have a hope, uh, why we have, uh, why we can live uh, expectantly here uh, in in the midst of all the things. I'm looking as I look at you out here this morning. I can look at almost every person in here and look at families that have faced the the loss of a mother, a father. Uh, brother, uh, sister, family of some kind in the last several years. And, uh, and as you look at that, you say, well, uh, the Bible tells us to not grieve as those that have no hope. Uh, you know, and so when we are not to sorrow as those that have no hope. And so uh, why, do, why do we have a hope? Well, the reason we have a hope is because we know the one that faced death and overcame it. And the Bible tells us that if you're in Christ, you've also been raised with Christ. And you shall also live with Christ. 
So as we as we look as we look at this day, why why is this day so important? Why is it something that should be celebrated? We we go back we go back all the way back to the beginning of the problem, and and I'm not I may not turn to a lot of scriptures here this morning, uh, but but kind of kind of go over a broad picture of some things in the scriptures this morning. We look back and say, you know, it all began back in the garden. Some close to nearly 6,000 years ago now, uh, suddenly the, a problem occurred. Uh, man disobeyed, disobeyed the Creator. Uh, sin came into the world. And because of sin, death passed upon men. And men have been dying ever since. Uh, and as uh, as we as we look down through time, God began to show the children of Israel, which was His chosen people, uh, not only chosen to be to be the lineage through which the Messiah would come, but also the chosen people through which the Scriptures would be revealed, and through who God Himself would reveal Himself for you and me and for them today. And so uh, very special to look back and say, God chose this people to be the people where he would unveil the story, if you will, that we still look at and read and render today and, and, and have hope today because of God continually showed the children of Israel that the God who promised things to them uh, would also keep his promises. Uh, he promised Abraham and, uh, uh, that he would give him a land, that he would also bless Abraham to have a child, and that that child, uh, uh, through that child, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And you could go and follow the lineage back through this man, Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, uh, through Jesse, through David, uh, through uh, Judah, if you will. Uh, you could go back and trace all of these things and find out that the Messiah, came through the exact lineage that God said he would come through. God brought him, God made a promise and God fulfilled his promise. God uh, God promised the uh, uh, the children of, that uh, told told uh, Abraham and uh, and Jacob said the, uh, the 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 people are going to go down into Egypt. They're going to be and as we've studied on Wednesday nights, they're going to be there 400 years. And after 400 years, I'll bring them out. 400 years later, God brought the people out. Uh, he delivered them from the Egyptian army. He delivered them across the Red Sea. He gave them the laws. Uh, and then also carried them back after a 40-year uh, waiting period. Uh, after a 40-year waiting period, carried the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, the land that he had promised right from the very beginning. God fulfilled his promise. God fulfills His promise. And that's what, that's what we sit here and look at this morning is a God who promises things. And, uh, and many times uh, uh, as we look at the death problem that we have, uh, uh, you and I have a problem that uh, death lies in front of us. Without the, uh, without the return of the Messiah coming in the clouds, which He also promised, uh, without that coming to bear in our lifetime, you and I are going to face death. And uh, our family Families will have to face death for us. You know, there'll be uh, there'll be a burial. The, these children that are here of mine today uh, uh, will one day, if the Lord doesn't come again, uh, uh, will stand over the old casket uh, and say, "Well, there he is. He finally died." Uh, and uh, and 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 the time will be. Say, "Well, where is he?" 
Well, he's just out here in the ground. No, my friends, gone home to be with the Lord. Gone, why? How can we, how can we say these things? How can we have this assurance? Because God promised it to us. Because God made a promise and he fulfilled it. And, and he begins to tell us, going back through the course of time, beginning with Isaiah, beginning with Isaiah, there are again prophecies being made. Well, we can go to Genesis chapter 3 and tell, where he tells us there that the seed of the woman is going to crush the, sea, the serpent. Uh, and his head, uh, and uh, and he's going to be br- that, the beginning of the promises of a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. Then we have all these other promises down through time. We could go to uh, Isaiah chapter 7, uh, and he begins there and says, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. Uh, and we have this repeated to us then uh, as the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph uh, in the first chapter of the book of, of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, uh, he tells him, uh, uh, tells him uh, thou shalt call uh, your, your bride, uh, your betrothed, uh, is expecting a child, uh, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, uh, for he shall save his people from their sins. Uh, again, a promise. Uh, a promise fulfilled uh, uh, that a virgin would have a child uh, and that he would come forth uh, and that the, the government would be upon his shoulders. Uh, uh, the kingdom, if you will. Uh, the kingdom would be on his shoulders uh, and he would be uh, uh, the one that would deliver the children, uh, uh, his children, uh, from their sins. Promises made, promises kept. I tell you, uh, uh, a a beautiful thing for us today and a reason uh, that we can look (coughs) hopefully out into the future and say the very same one. Sometimes people look at it, uh, and that's and that's the thing today. The, the word of God actually tells us this would be the, you know, in Second uh, Peter, it uh, it begins to tell us over there and say, you know, in the last days, people will say things like this: Where is the hope of His coming? Uh, uh, when will He come? Uh, you know, there, we've heard the promise of all this for years. Uh, where is He at? Uh, well, it's been two thousand years since Jesus was here. Uh, well, it, it had also been uh, four hundred years when. They were down in Egypt, but God came. <laughs> uh, it had been from the time that they were down in Egypt uh, uh, to the time and came out of Egypt to the time that He actually uh, arrived here uh, through the virgin birth was about fourteen hundred years. <clears throat> time is not uh, uh, time doesn't mean anything to our Lord, but His promises do. Promises and the fulfillment of His promises again and again and again. Uh, so he promised that he would come. Uh, he promised uh, uh, that he would conquer death. Uh, and why is that important? Well, we, Brother Derek mentioned this already uh, in the First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. And if Christ, and if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you're yet in your sins. You've got no hope. 
<laughs> if Christ did not is not raised, uh, we're in our sins and we have no hope. There's nothing out there in the future for us if he didn't come forth from the grave, if he didn't conquer death. Uh, uh, but the Bible tells us here in this same First Corinthian letter uh, that not only did he uh, come forth, Brother Derek's already read some of the scriptures there this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, Mary and Martha and others uh, uh, went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Uh, he wasn't there. Uh, there were men testifying, uh, he's not there, he's risen. <clears throat> there, were, uh, there were disciples that met him on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know who he was. And finally he revealed himself to them. Finally he revealed himself to his disciples. He came into a room where all of them except Thomas were assembled together. And the Bible says they were assembled there for fear because they feared the same thing that had happened to their leader would also happen to them. And so they're huddled together in a room and Jesus comes into the room without opening the door. He wasn't a spirit, by the way. He was man, flesh, and blood. Uh, and uh, that's the reason uh, uh, Thomas was wanting to know. Uh, I'll not believe it except I see his hand, the, the nails that prints in his hands and the, and, the, and the wound in his side and can put my hand in them. He was not some spirit that came floating through the door. He was a, a flesh and blood man raised from the dead that appeared in the room. Uh, now, that, that doesn't happen every day, right? <laughs> Jesus doesn't happen every day either. And the things that he did, the things he accomplished do not happen every day. That's the reason 2000, nearly 2,000 years later, I was thinking about that this morning, uh, you know, if, if we assume, and, and, and pretty accurately, uh, that 30 A.D. or 29 or 30 A.D. approximately, uh, the year is the year that Jesus uh, died upon the cross, then we can look at it today and say it's been 1990 or 1991 years. Uh, we're approaching the 2,000-year mark, and we're still here talking about the fact that Jesus, our Messiah, died 2,000 years ago upon the cross, and he died not just so... Uh, uh, he could go and be a martyr. He died that you and I might be set free from the penalty of death and the penalty of sin. He went there with a purpose, and we talk about it today. The children of Israel were told in the book of in the books of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, all in the Old Testament scriptures. They were given feasts that they were to celebrate. They were to remember the feast of the Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. They were to remember uh, the day of the giving of the law. They were to remember uh, tabernacles. They were to remember uh, uh, the day of atonement. All these feasts they were to remember. And they were told to, re to celebrate these feasts year after year after year after year. Now, the Passover for them was looking back and saying, yes, that's the day God delivered us from the hand of the Egyptians and he passed over the camps of, uh, of Egypt uh, uh, and death came upon the firstborn of everything, animal, child, uh, uh, and that didn't have the blood of Christ upon the, the doorpost and upon the lintel of the house. Death came to the firstborn of everyone in the camp of Egypt that night, but God passed over the children of Israel because of the blood of the Lamb. <coughs> now we fast forward to the year 29 or 30 AD and we have a man by the name of John the Baptist baptizing in the wilderness, probably out near Jericho. 
somewhere along the Jordan River, baptizing people there uh, that were coming, and he was calling upon them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and Jesus, beginning his ministry about that time, goes out to meet John the Baptist on the side of the Jordan River. Uh, and uh, John the Baptist beholds him, uh, looks at him, and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, some, some 1,400 to 1,500 years since they had come out of Egypt, now all of a sudden there's a man standing in the wilderness of Judea looking over there and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the one that we've been talking... We've been practicing this Passover for years and years and years. Uh, there's been a lamb that's been killed, uh, blood that's been shed. And now uh, John the Baptist looks out there and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Wow, what a day. <laughs> what a day. Now Jesus comes and goes through his ministry, goes through his teaching, healing the sick. Uh, John the Baptist sent when John was taken prisoner and put in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus and his disciples and said, go and ask, is he the one or do we look for another? And they came and they asked Jesus and he said, you tell John these things again. What? <clears throat> the blind are made to see. The deaf are made to hear. The lame are made to walk. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's all John needed to know. Why? Because that was a prophecy in Isaiah that these things would come to pass when the Messiah would come, that the lame would, would walk, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, and the poor would have the gospel preached to them. And he says, you just go tell John these things again. Why are we coming on Sunday mornings? On the first day of the week, uh, we honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. Uh, uh, we come here, uh, and what do we come? You say, well, Brother Charles, I know this story. I know about the resurrection. We need to hear it again. We need to hear it again. Why? Because as the week goes by, we just get weaker and weaker and weaker and more doubtful. And as the years go by and we get older and we see the world going the way it's going these days, sometimes even those of us that know say, where's the promise of His coming? Where's the promise of His coming? Surely uh, He's going to come. He's going to come, my friends, just as sure as Brother Adam has been preaching to us and teaching to us that Jesus taught uh, in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, uh, and coming up through there uh, in 20 uh, also, and told them, I must go to Jerusalem. There I'll be taken by the chief priests. There I'll be taken by the Gentiles. There I'll be taken. I'll be scourged and I'll be put to death, but I'll rise again. He told them and he promised this to them. And now we find an empty tomb. <clears throat> and you know what? It's still empty. Still empty today. Uh, and he's still sitting on the right hand of the throne. And you know what he's waiting on? He's waiting on the Father when the Father says, it's time. Uh, in the meantime, we just keep laboring and waiting and knowing that the promises of God are yea and amen. God's word is true. 
And so, so whether you're young or old, I'm getting to the point where I can almost say I, uh, I know my age says I'm old, even if I don't feel like it sometimes. Uh, but I'm looking out at, at young folks here this morning. I'm looking at my children, grandchildren, Brother Brody, Sister Maitland, Brother Sebastian, these and uh, Brother Jeremy and his family and others that are here. I'm looking at you and saying, uh, uh, if, if we all pass from the scene, will our children and our grandchildren still be looking and celebrating this time of year, year after year after year? The children of Israel got faint. The feast became something, ah, well, you know, it's just another feast day. They sometimes, Some years they celebrated, some years they didn't. Sometimes they pretty well forgot about it. Uh, for you and me, believing that these things are true and, co- and continue to demonstrate this year after year after year after year and celebrating the fact that we have a risen Savior, celebrating the fact that we have a Savior that's just waiting on the day when the Lord says it's time to go home and close this thing out, wrap this thing up, and bring them home to me. That promise that he fulfilled some 2,000 years ago uh, was a, was sure uh, to happen, sure to take place, and the promise that he's going to come back again is just as sure. In the meantime, what we're to do is continue to worship. Continue to celebrate. Continue to be thankful. Continue to look for Him. Uh, you know, uh, when will the day be? When will the time come? When is He going to come back? And what did He accomplish? That's what. Uh, what uh, what we'll what we'll just say real quickly. What did He accomplish upon the cross? Well, one thing. His blood took away our sins. The blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of heifer, all those things that are practiced under the law could never take away our sins. The only thing that could take away our sins is the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. And as Adam was the first man uh, and sin came into this world because of him, sin was taken away by the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who came and died for our sins. What did he accomplish 2,000 years ago? Not only did he wipe away uh, our sins... But he also proved that he had power over death. And that one of these days, the graves are going to open. We're going to get to rejoice in being with him once again. That's the reason today is special. That's the reason we're still celebrating. The children of Israel could look back and say, Wow, do you remember the day when the Lord came to came through Egypt and brought us out? You remember hearing the stories of how the Red Sea parted? Can you imagine the Red Sea parting and the children of Israel going through? I'm going to tell you, we've got a better story than that. We've got a story that uh, on the very Passover, the Passover himself, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came and died and took away our sins, conquered death and proved it by coming forth three days later so that you and I can look and say, there's no, there's no grave can hold us. There's nothing that can tear us down. There's nothing that can keep us from being with our Heavenly Father. because. Uh, and, and so I'll close with this. Turn to, Col- turn to Colossians if you've got your Bible. This is what I'll close with. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above.
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If you if you've been or if you were in Christ Jesus when he came forth from the tomb, then you've been risen with Christ. Don't set your affections on things on the earth. Set your affections on things above <clears throat> that we might worship and adore him while we're here. May God bless you on a great Easter day uh, and continue to uh, uh, to worship him and celebrate. This one has power over death. This one had power over the grave. He had power over the sin, over sin. And that's the reason we gather together and worship because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. May God bless you is our prayer.